When I would work in construction, all that I did was work on the non-glory stuff. In fact, Asa and Billy Holloman, Asa and Billy stand up. They're going to be joining our church here, and uh, I want you to meet Asa and Billy. Asa actually made a mistake. I'm going to, I'm going to confess on him. Uh, he actually had us pour the pier holes. I mean, to me, there were hundreds of pier holes in Northwest Bible Church. We poured every one of them eight inches too high. And Asa came to a, a fellow seminarian named Rick that he came to me and, and to Rick and he said, for the next several weeks, you're going to use a jackhammer and you're going to get those pier holes down where they need to be. So we spent the next eight weeks, eight hours a day, jackhammering. And I'm not going to tell you how I cursed Asa over and over again when it was, when it was 103. Now, seriously, we had to work and we sure learned how to use a jackhammer. But I learned something from Asa. Foundations are the key to everything when you're building. The two summers that I worked, we'd start early in June and not, we'd go back to seminary in August. Um, I only got to put in foundations. I dug holes and you know, dug trenches and we poured beams and all we did was work on foundations and then we actually poured those slabs. But you know, those churches, you can actually go to Northwest Bible Church and go into those buildings that we built and they haven't leaned over like the Leaning Tower of Pizza. They're actually still there. And uh, that's what this building's about out here. Now we're finally, a lot of you have been saying, what are, you going, what are we doing, man? We're, it's going on forever and ever and ever and nothing's happened. And that's because the most important stuff was being done. And we're going to do that for another week in our marriages. We talk about this series called homebuilders.god. I want you to think about how you view a marriage and what you believe about the foundation. And last week I gave you a definition or I really taught you about the dominating view. If you just coast through life, this is the way you're going to think about marriage. And this definition goes like this. Marriage is a 50-50 relationship of mutual companionship with a, pur- with a purpose to enable the positive personal growth of each person in the relationship to fulfill their life goals and dreams. That's the way almost everybody in our culture and in Europe feels about marriage. That's what a marriage is. And I called it a you know, fancy psychological term. It, it term is called a companionate marriage. And I want you to realize that your heavenly daddy wants you to find companionship. It's not good for man to be alone. But as we think about this foundation of a marriage, the foundation of your marriage is not just your companionship. It's not just to meet your heart needs. And that led us to another definition of marriage that was way back rooted in the Old Testament. In fact, it was really in the creation story. But the prophet Malachi, who was the last prophet in the Old Testament before the time of Christ, he, he, he proclaimed the word of God 400 years before Christ came. Malachi presented a different definition of marriage. And I want you to look at that. It's there kind of a little bit down. I said, this is a new definition of marriage. Marriage is a covenant promise. This is what Malachi says. Listen to what he says. Marriage is a covenant promise of love. What kind of a love? It's a covenant promise of love between a man and a woman, but it's before God with the purpose. Now get this. The purpose of this love that this man and woman have is not just for their own companionship, but it is to witness through their faithfulness and love to one another the deeper eternal relationship they enjoy with God. Now turn to Malachi chapter 2 and let's look at verse 10. We'll review a little bit. And then I want to talk to you about two triangles because you need to understand that there was a triangle in the Old Testament and there's a triangle in the New Testament. Look at Malachi chapter 2.10. It's right the very last book in your Old Testament. You can flip through the pages. Everybody have it. It says, Have we not all one Father? In chapter 2 verse 10. 
We talked about that. If you know Christ as your Savior, then God is your heavenly daddy. In the Old Testament, if you united with God's people of Israel, then Yahweh, the God of Israel, became your daddy. And then you also learn that, 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 that the unique father of Israel was none other than the creator. So what I want you to realize is that as New Testament believers, you're entering in to these ancient relationships with the living God that's really there. And so what, what Malachi wants the people to understand, he says, you have one daddy, one divine father. You have one God that created you. And then he says this, why do you profane the covenant of our fathers? Why do you break faith with one another? Why are you treacherous towards one another? Now, it's, it, you need to understand it like this. This is the idea. If you were an Israelite in the Old Testament, the most precious relationship in your life was Yahweh, the living God that created you, the God of Abraham, Father, and, and Jacob. That's why it says the covenant that God made with the fathers. And what the Old Testament was built on, if you were Old Testament saints, the most precious possession you have is that the living God, the God that lives out there in unapproachable light, the God that's eternal, the God that's omnipotent, the God that's behind everything. If you're a philosopher, he's the, the ultimate supreme everything. But the Bible revealed that he's a personal God that can speak and that can feel and can decide. If you're an Israelite, your most precious possession is that you don't live in a world where God is silent. God has spoken. And God has specifically spoken to Abraham, and God has told Abraham that he is going to father a great nation of people that will be connected with Yahweh. And the idea is, through these unique sons and daughters of Abraham that are connected with the living God that's there, the beauty of their love, the beauty of their families, the beauty of their laws, the beauty of their morality is going to be like a magnet that draws people to Jesus to the Messiah ultimately, but in the Old Testament draws people to Yahweh and to his promise. So this is the way it goes. In the Old Testament, if you were married, the triangle went like this. Here's a husband, Adam. Here's a wife, Eve. They are united together and their union together, their companionship, their commitment to one another, the love that they have for one another, and then the children they produce generate God's children and generate a picture that people can see in the society of the way that God loves his people. So what Malachi is saying is that when he was running, there was a covenant. If you were an Israelite, it meant that you, if you were married, you were in a holy covenant. And the holy covenant of your marriage pictured the holy covenant that Yahweh had with his people. And that's what Malachi means when he talks about you've forgotten the covenant of your fathers. The word covenant means precious relationship, a vowed relationship. It means that you have, have entered into a union with somebody. Then there's obligations that flow from it. And you must be faithful to that relationship. In Ephesians, when you turn to Ephesians, turn over to Ephesians chapter 5, Paul does an interesting thing. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul takes this Old Testament idea... And he applies it to you as New Testament or New Covenant people. In fact, at the end of the chapter, it says, for we are all members of his body, at the end of verse 10, or verse 30, I mean, Ephesians 5, verse 30. For we are all members of his body. That's Christ's body. For this reason, a man will leave his father's mother. Because we're all members of his body, that's why a man, the men in this room, should leave their father and the mother when the Lord leads them to the woman that he has for them. 
They leave their father and mother. They're united with their wife. And they become one flesh. They become united together. They become a new unity and one flesh. We'll learn. We'll talk about it in some future lessons. It ultimately pictures your sexual union together as a picture of this intimate union. It says this is all a profound mystery. So as you're sitting there, you might be saying, man, you know, this is hard to get my hands around it. It's hard to understand it. It is a profound mystery. But then Paul says this, I'm actually talking about Christ and his church. However, each one of you as husbands must love his wife like he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, this is what I want you to see. The Apostle Paul is saying the reason you need to act like you're supposed to act in your marriage according to your heavenly daddy's direction is because just like in the Old Testament, you're now in a covenant relationship with God. And now God is specifically revealed to you through Jesus. So in the Old Testament, we have a triangle. Husband and wife, as I see their union, I am reminded in Israel of Yahweh, the God that made the relationship with them at Mount Sinai, how he loved his people, how he was faithful to his people. When I see an Israelite couple married and being faithful to their relationship and raising their children in that relationship, I'm reminded of the invisible relationship that God has with his people. In the New Testament, the door is opened and Gentiles and Jews and everyone that comes to Messiah Jesus, now it's Dave and it's Mary. And as you see Dave and Mary in our marriage related together in our covenant of marriage, you're to be reminded as you look at us of Christ's relationship to you. And that's the most important thing in the world. I want you to think about it's a witness. Your marriage is a witness. Your marriage witnesses the most precious reality in the world. The second that I die, I'll be united with Jesus. The second that you die, if you believed in Jesus, you'll be united with him. And marriage is intimately related to that. Does that make sense? When you're thinking about your marriage, rather than thinking about how's this going for me? And how is this relationship enhancing my own fulfillment of myself? How is this relationship meeting my needs? We don't ask those questions. Primarily, we ask the question, how, is my, how are my actions, how is my life helping others to see the love of Jesus? How are they learning about the forgiveness of Jesus? How are they learning about the, the building up that Jesus does with his people? And it's very important. And by the way, that's why Christian marriages are falling apart like crazy. Because we have an enemy that knows what he's doing. He knows that if he can get young people to just live like secular people, if he can get young people that don't think anything at all about one flesh relationships, sex is nothing. You know, it's nothing. It's pleasure of my body. It just meets my physical needs. It's just like, you know, I, I enjoy a good Coke. I enjoy a good sex. It's no different. But all of you know, deep in your soul, it is different. And I want the kids to know that I'm very aware. Like my kids at UT, 90% of the students at UT, they have sex. Many of them don't have technical intercourse. They've learned from Bill Clinton really well. But they have very strong closeness with somebody. They have a lot of physical contact. And they don't think anything at all about it because it's no big deal because I'm living for myself. But a lot of those kids aren't in a covenant relationship with Jesus. They don't know Jesus. They're just trying to find, you know, they're, 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 a lot of them are from homes that have blown apart. A lot of them are from homes that were, where they don't even know who their mom and daddy are. A lot of them are from homes that were just in religion. 
And so you need to ask yourself, what, I, what my challenge to you as a pastor teacher is you're only going to get to live your young life once. And you're only going to get to live your childhood once. You're only going to get to live your adult life once. And I want to challenge you as a church family, this is reality. This is what marriage really is. Marriage is not just about us. It's not just about us enjoying our physical pleasures, but it is about our connection with Jesus. So everything we do in our marriage, everything we do in our dating, everything we do in our commitments to one another as male and female has to be rooted in his instructions because he's the source of it. And I, want to, I just want to challenge you that you're only going to get to do this once and, and Jesus is the only trustable teacher. Jesus is the only one that can give you the right information. And Jesus is also the only one that can give you resurrection power to conquer a lot of powerful dark things in your life that will destroy your marriage. And Malachi goes on to talk about two of those things that were destroying relationships in ancient Israel. We began to talk about them, but let's review them. The first thing that was destroying relationships in in, in ancient Israel was that a whole bunch of Israelite a bunch of Israelites were marrying partners that didn't know Yahweh at all. That's what he says in the next paragraph. He says, Judah, in verse 11, has broken faith. In other words, have you ever had a friend that you thought you could really count on? You thought you could depend upon them, and then they walked out on you, and they lied about you, or they treated you with disdain, and they cursed you? That's what treason is. That's what treachery is. And that's what Malachi is saying. He's saying some way these men in Israel have acted treacherously, and in this case they've acted treacherously towards God. Let's look and see why they've done this. It says they've done, they've broken faith. They've done a detestable thing that has, been, that has been happened in Israel. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary of the Lord that he loves. Now, this is, now, you say, Dave, what in the world is going on? This is what the prophet's saying. He's saying, if you're an Old Testament Israelite, the temple means everything to you. Just like in Islam today, the mosque, and especially in Mecca, means everything. In the Old Testament, there was a legitimate temple, not like a mosque today, but there was really a place where the creator of the universe chose to be especially present and it was called the Kadosh. It was called the holy place, the set-apart place. And if you were an Israelite, you longed to go to that place. You long, like when David says, my heart pants for God, he often means by that that he wants to go to the temple and just be in the courts of the temple so he can be near the presence of God. Now what the writer of Malachi is saying is that you've spit on that temple, that you've cursed that temple. That you've acted, what it means to do a profane thing is that you take something that's so precious, something that's so holy, and you just treat it lightly, or you treat it abusively. And that's what he's saying. You say, well, Dave, how have they done that? How, how, you know, I'm sure that people in Israel, when Malachi was preaching them, he said, how in the world did we treat the temple in Jerusalem, which they had just rebuilt? They had just come back from exile. How in the world do we treat the temple lightly? And then he says this, as they're asking that question, he says, because you married the daughter of a foreign god. Look what it says. You've desecrated the sanctuary by marrying the daughter of a foreign god. You say, what does that mean? A lot of Israelites had gone out and they had intermarried with people that had no relationship with Yahweh. In other words, they went out and lived like we live today in the 21st century. In other words, in our culture, if you're a young man, you see a beautiful woman 
and she is intellectual. She's, you know, she's beautiful. She's fun. She's, you know, man, she can dance the lights out. She's just an incredible girl. And, you know, she's from a great family. And she really connects with you. And, and man, she tells you as a man, you know, you are, I've never met a man that understands me like you do. I just love just sitting in your presence. I feel safe just being in your presence. And man, in the midst of all these pressures of schoolwork and everything else, just to be close to you, man, just makes me feel like I'm in heaven. You make me feel like I'm in heaven already. And the guy starts going, oh, like this. In our culture, that's it. Man, your heart begins to pound. Man, the woman just puts her hand on your lap. And man, the guy just starts to vibrate. Man, this is it. Man, this is divine. You know, this is heavenly. There's, there's tons of romantic songs you can sing that will speak about the heavenliness of this. And I want you to understand that that's the way romantic love works. And I want you to know that the enemy, Satan, will do tons of things that he can do to make you experience that in a counterfeit way. Because that's what he does. And what the men in Israel in the Old Testament, when Malachi was writing, what they did was they never asked these girls... Do you want to go to the temple with me and worship Yahweh? Do you want to celebrate Passover and remember the fact that, that do you want to spend some time in the spring when, when we celebrate the Passover, remember that my people were delivered from Egypt and little lambs were, were, were slain and we put blood on the door and we went to Mount Sinai and we met Yahweh and we were given the Ten Commandments. Is that at the core of your being? That's what, was, that's what an Old Testament man was supposed to do. And that's what an Old Testament woman was supposed to do. They would ask their partner. And like Ruth, for example, it wasn't that they couldn't marry a non-Israelite if, or a non-racially Israelite. Like Ruth from Moab was part of the cursed people. But Ruth, in the book of Ruth, and you, Ruth, and you might want to read that. It's a beautiful love story this week. Ruth actually makes a decision to join in the worship of Yahweh before she meets the love of her life. And she's a widow. She's in a very destitute situation. But she makes a decision, I'm going to make Yahweh the center of my life. I'm going to worship Yahweh. She says to her mother-in-law, Naomi, I'm going with you. And Naomi says, man, they might kill you over there. They don't like Moabites. She says, I'm going with you. That's where Yahweh dwells. And Ruth made a decision, I'm going to worship Yahweh. And in all your relationships, in all, as, you, as parents, as you're teaching your kids, you need to be teaching your kids from the time that they're this high that the most important question that you ask is not where do they go to church. I mean, almost everybody in our area goes to church somewhere. You don't ask them where they go to church. You don't ask them what their religion is. In the New Testament context, you don't ask them, you know, do you worship Yahweh at Passover time, but you ask them, tell me about Jesus. Tell me what Jesus means to you. Tell me what's happened in your life. And I want to share with you that as, as, as people have asked those kinds of questions, I've, I've even seen couples, you know, where people have come to know Jesus because those questions become really important. That's a beautiful thing. Even in marital counseling, as I've been getting couples ready to get married, and it's happened with all the pastors, we have a lot of people that come to us, they've never even heard what I'm talking about. And I want to share with you that couples can respond to that. What I'm concerned about is I want us as a church family to realize that this is the foundation. This is really important. And I also want you to realize that way back in Old Testament times, a lot of men and a lot of women just forgot all about that. And I want you to see that Yahweh says that that's an act of treachery against me. 
That's an act of treason against me because, and you can't have what God says is the meaning of a relationship in your marriage. Because remember those triangles? In the Old Testament, it was supposed to be a picture. As I watch an Israelite couple worshiping at Passover, and I watch them celebrating the Sabbath every week, I'm reminded what an incredible Yahweh they have. What an incredible God they have. Isn't it wondrous that the God of the universe has revealed himself? What an incredible law he's given. What an incredible salvation he's promised the Messiah. And I watch this Israelite couple, but if an Israelite man is married to a pagan woman who's worshiping fertility goddesses, and goes to the temple and has relationships, which is exactly what happened in the ancient world. So it wasn't much different than our world. Then it doesn't picture that relationship at all. And that's what I want you to start to really understand. And the same thing is true in the New Testament. If one of my kids marries someone that's not connected with Jesus, then they might have human love. They might have great sex. They might have very productive jobs materially. They might look like they're really adjusted. But in the big scheme of things, they're not going to ever enter into the depth of what Jesus really wants a marriage to be. And that's why, like, when you watch the Fiddle on the Roof, like, all of you have seen Fiddle on the Roof is a very popular play, and it is about Judaism's old traditional value that you need to marry a fellow Jew. And the daddy in front of the roof, who is a marvelous actor, singing incredible songs, what he's wrestling with is my daughters are all scattering out. And a lot of them aren't marrying Jews anymore. And in your modern context, like if you go to UT, or if you go even into the Midlothian High School this week, what I'm teaching you is going to be easily lumped back into, oh man, it's just that old stuff. You can only marry in your little religion and you've got to marry someone that you're raised and it's all that kind of... That's not what I'm talking about. That's just religion. That's just culture. But what I want to say is this. The bond of a relationship, the bond of intimacy flows from your core value. Every one of you in this room has a core value. Every one of you. If you're a pagan at heart, then it means you can hardly wait to go clubbing on 6th Street if you go to UT. It means you can hardly wait to get out, find out where the action is. If you're a girl, you want to find somebody you can make a hit on. If you're a guy, you want to find someone you want to make a hit on. You are worshiping. You are a worshiper of your body, of physical highs. You are struggling to find some kind of connectedness in a world where nothing seems to be connected. You are a worshiper. But you're estranged from Jesus. If you're a child of God that's doing that, then you've lost your first love. You've wandered away from what this intimate relationship with Jesus is supposed to be about. And then you'll start walking down a road where you'll easily start to connect with someone that doesn't really know Jesus and doesn't really belong to him. And what I want to challenge you today, like, for example, maybe some of you are walking like that. Maybe some of you are living like that. I want to ask you this morning from the depths of my heart, I want you to let Jesus love you today. I want you to open your heart and I want you to trust him because he's the only one that won't deceive you. He's the only one that won't lead you into a close relationship with someone that's not right with you, for you and someone that will hurt you and that someone won't be faithful to you. He's the only one that can help you to, to have power like we're going to be talking in the coming weeks about how to fight fair and how to overcome your anger and how to overcome your immoral thoughts. I just plead with you that this covenant with Jesus, your intimacy with Jesus is at the core of your life and that's why you can't connect in dating relationships and in potential marriage relationships and then in marriage relationships, it's why you can't connect 
with someone that doesn't love Jesus like you do. Because the core of your being will be pulling you away. Now, it's different. Some of you are here today, and you didn't know any of this stuff. And you're here singly today. And you know Jesus, but your partner doesn't. And Paul's going to tell, or Peter's going to tell you in 1 Peter 3, don't you end that relationship. Because your intimacy with Jesus and your love for your partner, the most important thing in your life now is, I need to stay there because I bring the presence of Jesus into this home, and I want the presence of Jesus to reach my partner that I love. Does that make sense? It's not just an ethnic thing, not just a, relationship, a, a racial thing. It is a holy love for people. So if you're in a relationship now, I'm not telling you this morning, if you're in a relationship with someone that's not a believer, based upon what I said, you don't jettison that relationship. Say, oh man, I want to find a dear darling believer. The Holy Spirit wants to take you where you are. And he wants to teach you to act faithfully in the relationship where you are. And this needs to be a community of faith where we pray constantly for you. And we nurture you and we comfort you. And we're there to wipe your tears away when it's not going right. But we also want to be a place where we eventually see your unbelieving partner come to faith. And there's a whole lot that are united together here this morning that didn't used to be united. Now, the second thing that the heavenly daddy was really concerned about in the Old Testament that was an act of treachery was not just that the people were marrying unbelievers. Let's look at the second thing that they were doing. It says another thing, verse 13, another thing, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. See it in verse 13? You weep and wail because he no longer pays attention to your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. And you ask why. Let me give you a picture of this. A lot of you have the idea that if you're coming to church and you're praying and everything, you're, you know, God's going to bless you, it's really religious and everything. Your relationship with God is much more authentic than that. What, this is what these guys were doing. These guys were coming to temple worship. They were coming to Sabbath worship. And they bawled and bawled. They said, oh, God, God, answer our prayers. And if they were farmers like Kim, they said, oh, God, send the rain and we want our crops to grow. And man, the, the beetles, you know, the insects come in, the beetles come in to wipe out all their crops. They come in, oh, God, I just can't believe it, man. You're not answering our prayers. We need to get more religious. We need to get better music. We need to pray harder. We need to have fasting. We need to really make it happen. Now, listen to me. Your tears and your words, if they're not connected with a broken heart that leads to faithful actions, it's a bunch of baloney. And churches are filled with that. Like, I want to warn you, you could be here today. If you're acting, you pray, some of you pray really nice, and some of you can cry really nice, and you can be emotional. You know what the prophet, I love Malachi, he just cuts right to the truth. He says, I want to know what you're doing with your life. And these guys are bellyaching. Some of you are sitting here and going, you know, this Jesus thing doesn't work. Man, I asked the Lord Jesus for this, I asked the Lord Jesus for that, and nothing's happening. Man, just forget this whole thing. I want to ask you this morning, are you obeying? Has the Holy Spirit put his finger on something in your life and said, you need to obey? And this is why the Lord wasn't answering prayer in the Old Testament. It says, why? The, people, the, the men are asking, why aren't you answering our prayers? We weep and wail and cry. We're really emotional. We worship at the temple and we're not getting any results. This Yahweh worship is a, it just doesn't work. The Lord says this, it is because the Lord is acting as the witness between you and the wife of your youth. 
because you have broken faith with her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage by covenant. Now you can learn a lot about marriage, the foundation of marriage. This is what a marriage is. From the Old Testament perspective in the New Testament, this is the way it usually works. It says in this, this picture here that there was a, there's a wife that you met when you were young. Mary is the wife of my youth. I met her when I was 18. She was a fellow believer, and I was a fellow believer. I find that out in about two minutes with Mary. I knew what her core values are. Mary wears her core values just right out in the open. And so I knew that. So she was the person I met in my youth. It also mentions here, it says, because you have broken faith with her, though she is your partner. And the idea of partner, like we talk a lot in our church about koinonia, when the Septuagint translates this Hebrew word, it's a Hebrew word that means together. It means to be united as one, but it also has the idea of friendship and companionship. So in your life, the Lord wants to lead you as you make him the center of your life. He'll, meet, he'll bring you to someone that you fall in love with of the opposite sex, and you begin to have fellowship. And by the way, that's the door you need to enter into. You need to enter through the door of learning to be together. Learning to be friends. Your culture tells you to go blasting through the sexual door. And what will happen is if you enter through that door, it will be so loud. It, the noise will be so loud you'll never hear anything about what the, who the person really is. And in a lot of the movies that you watch, people begin relationships with sex. Then they move into living together. And then three or four years later, they start working on getting to know each other. That's a little late. And it's awfully easy to find out that this person that I'm so bonded with sexually is an idiot and doesn't believe like me at all and doesn't meet my needs at all. And then you start getting into experimental relationships because many of you as men and women decide, I'm just a piece of trash anywhere. You feel so guilty and dark. So you get in this rhythm. It's like you're overcorrecting. Like when you're learning to land. Like this week I've been come trying to learn how to land an airplane with a tail dragger. And what happens is when you land, suddenly if the wind can hit you and you go veering off to the right side. So you push hard on the left thing to turn back the other way. And then you push really hard. And if you do it like this, you start going like that. Who wants to fly with me like that? <laughs> and your instructor is yelling. She, she's yelling at you. Don't overcorrect. Gentle. But that's what a lot of you guys are doing in life. You enter physically, so you push hard and you go veering off this way. You don't know the person. She's not your companion. He's not your companion. Mary and I wrote letters. Mary disappeared to Moody Bible Institute, which was 800 miles away, about 500 miles away from where I was in school. I wrote her every single day. Guys, you get to know a woman. Woman, if you are away from a man, you'll get to know the man. If he loves you, he'll write to you. And you'll get to know what he's like on the inside. You'll get to know. Today, you'll get to know through his emails. You'll get to know by the way he calls you on the phone. You want to enter through that companionship door. And then as you become friends, then you start moving into a deeper kind of a love where you start beginning to think, maybe this is the one. And that leads us into this next level he talks about, that you've forgotten your wife of your marriage covenant. In Proverbs chapter 2, it talks about a woman that forgets her marriage covenant. So it works both ways. And the same thing is happening in our culture. 
And that's one of the most treacherous things you can do. Remember this triangle? Jesus and his bride, the church. How many of you, as you're sitting here, has Jesus ever come to you some morning and said, you know what? You've really been good for about 15 years. I really like you. You know, you're good. It was good walking with you. I'm sure glad to meet with you in church and and be able to have you sing. And it's been great meeting with you. You know, we study God's word and you listen to my voice. And I just want you to know it's really been great to have you my child. But you know what? I found another child over here I like really much better. You're out of the family. How many of you have ever had Jesus do that to you? How many of you have ever been totally abandoned by Jesus? He gave up on you. He said you were no longer his child, and he walked out on you. You see how eternal, you see how faithful that relationship is? That's where our married love needs to flow from. And this morning, the Lord wants you to capture a vision of that. You see, what Jesus says, he says, David, the way you're going to learn to be faithful to Mary, the way you're going to learn to keep your promises to Mary is you let me teach you how to, this vertical relationship is breathing promise keeper into me. And I want to share with you from the depths of my heart, I have all the temptations that you do. Like, I, one of the things that pastor teacher, I try to teach you every week, I try to just communicate to you, like, I'm not a holy man in another class. I haven't been visiting St. Peter at the, at the gates of heaven this week and come down to visit you. I wrestle with all the, the swimsuit issues for uh, Sports Illustrated. I, I have the things pop up on my internet. You know, I have the, the pulls in my heart. I have all those things that you have. Well, how do you keep a promise? Like, I made a promise to Mary when I was 20 years old. How do you keep that promise? I live for Jesus today. I live close to Jesus. And I remember the companionship that only he can give. And I remember, I remember when I first, you know, as Mary and I started being companions and having closeness as friends together. I remember early in the morning, you know, spending time with the Lord, and the Lord would say quietly in my heart, this is the one. This is the one. As I started moving towards, you know, get in that ring, and it wasn't just my friends told me, but I could, I could hear the voice of God, this is the right thing. And when you ask her to marry you, this is the right thing. And time and time again in my marriage, the Lord will say, David, you're messing up. This is my precious daughter. This is the woman I'm going to teach you in the coming weeks. We're going to learn that, that Jesus has a plan for the woman that you're married to. And your only job as a husband is to cooperate with him. And Jesus will remind me, he says, David, this woman belongs to me. She's my daughter forever and ever. You're not taking very good care of her. You're acting selfishly. You're, you're, you're just looking at your own needs. And, and he says, let me teach you. Let me help you. Let me have the controls of your life. Let me show you how to do it right. That's what I covet for every one of you. Ancient Israel, the men forgot all that. And they left their wives that they met when they were young. And they went after the beautiful chicks. Because in our culture, it's really dumb. I don't understand the rationale for this. But a man can get old and fat and have a gut hanging out. And some beautiful young woman will love him. What she really does, she feels safe with him, and she wants a daddy, but it's nutty. It doesn't usually work the opposite way, although Hollywood's working to help you to try to think it might work the other way. But I got news for you, it usually doesn't. And I want to share with you that the whole thing is from hell. Because the joys of life are going to come. Like the joy of life for me right now, my wife Mary is with Lilo, my second granddaughter, and she's a grandma. She's a beautiful, beautiful grandma, but she's a grandma. 
And this is our time to enjoy the incredible wonder of the next generation coming on. And by God's grace, maybe we'll get to see the third generation. And I want to be able to have all my grandkids gathered together around my bed, like my dad did, like I mentioned to you last week. And I want them to say, Grandpa taught us how to love Jesus. Grandpa taught us how to love our wife. Grandpa taught us how to get close to God. Now, come on, guys. Is that a better picture than some beautiful 30-year-old that was on the cover of Sports Illustrated in a skimpy bathing suit and she supposedly adores me? Come on. What do you want? What do you want? That's what I want you to think. I want you to think really hard. What do you want? And what I want, I want, I want Midlothian Bible Church to have a movement, a powerful spirit-given movement, where we honor, and you've done it. Carol Thomas was faithful to Virginia in sickness and in health. And then the Lord, when, it, when Virginia went home to be the Lord, the Lord gave him beautiful Susan. And the Lord gives you a model of an elder that did it just the way God promised us to do it. And those are the stories that we need to tell our kids over and over again. This is love. We need to have the widows in our church family tell us the story of they've lost their lover. They've lost the one that was their companion from their youth, but they know he's in heaven. And they're looking forward to being united with him again. And those are the stories that we need to tell. We need to counter the world stories. How are we going to do it? How are we going to do it? The passage closes with how we're going to do it. It says, has not the Lord made them one in flesh and spirit? This is why you can't divide from Mary. It's why you don't want to divide from your marriage partner. Because when you marry, you're united in your flesh and your spirit. And why one? Because he was seeking a godly offspring. And I, I want to stress this. One of the purposes for marriage, and we're not going to be able to talk about it that much, but I want to remind you, one of the purposes for marriage is for you to have kids. It's not the only purpose. And if you can't have kids, then that doesn't mean your marriage can't have fulfillment. But one of the lies that's happened in our culture, we have divorced marriage from any connection to children. And I want you to, I want you to listen to me. You, if you know Jesus as your Savior, and you're a husband that knows Jesus, and you're a wife that knows Jesus, and then you love each other, as you generate those babies, you are producing a godly offspring. In old Israel, and today in modern Israel, that's a really important thing. In fact, Israel, Judaism in the United States is in danger of disappearing. That's the truth. In ancient Israel, in today's Israel and the United States, in a few more years, if we keep going like there is now, there's going to be no more Jews in the United States. Say, why is that so? Because they only have about 1.6 kids. It's even a little bit less than that. In order to just reproduce your people, you need to produce 2.3, 2.4 kids per family. It's the way it works. And all of you kids have been taught, you know, population explosion, it's a horrible thing. Europe today is going to disappear if we keep going because they're not having any kids. And the same thing's happening in the United States among some population groups. For us as a church, I want you to know, it doesn't mean that everybody needs to have 12 kids, but I want you to know something as young people. Part of marriage and part of the talk that you should have is we want to unite together. And if God blesses us, we want to produce godly kids. And I don't say that to be mean to you. My four kids are the treasure of my life. And I'm so glad that we didn't abort any one of them. 
Did they get in our way? Yes. Did they, do they cost a lot of money? Yes. But I'll take just one of my kids and live in a tent if the choice was I have them, live in a tent, or not have them. And that's what I want you to understand. That's the heartbeat of Malachi. There's a connection. Modern, the modern world has jettisoned the connection between marriage and kids. But your heavenly daddy is still saying, be fruitful and multiply. And one of the things I want to bless of the church family, we need to celebrate, we need to hoop and holler when we dedicate little babies. And when Debbie and all the people working in our children's ministry are trying to equip us to raise our kids to be godly, when we see all those kids baptized, if you're a businessman or woman here today, if I was looking for a place, and I, I'm praying that the Lord's going to bless every one of you, but when Kim asked you to give, I want you to be thinking like this. Man, I give to some podunk company up in Wall Street, New York, where Dave was raised. I'm going to do a little bit of that to try to make sure I don't starve to death when I'm 75. But I'm a business person, and I'm going out this week because I am part of a family of faith that's transforming little children. I'm part of a family of faith that's touching little kids. They're helping them to come to know Jesus when they're real little bitty kids. And they're helping them to grow. And I'm part of a church family where, where the, the senior pastor, for example, has had kids that were raised in that church and they love Jesus. And so something's happening here. And if I was a business person looking for places to invest, man, I would invest. Because I would say, and, and I want you, brothers and sisters, I want you to capture this dream. I want, when you mention my dream from Elothian Bible Church, is that when you mention the name of our church, to say, that's the places where the marriages hold together. And they're filled with intimacy. They're filled with joy. And that's the place where kids are cherished and where they're struggled for and where they're trained and where they're taught and where we see a godly offspring raising up. Malachi closes by talking. He says this. He gave it. He says, I hate divorce, says the Lord God. I hate divorce. I hate a man covering himself with violence. So guard yourself and your spirit. Do not break faith. Why does God hate divorce? Have you been divorced? God doesn't hate you. But God does hate the pain that came to you. He hates the pain that came to your kids. He hates the, the fracturing of this covenant. That's what I want you to think. If you're divorced, we don't reject you. But as your pastor teacher, I'm going to teach you. God hates divorce. Doesn't hate divorced people, but he hates divorce. And the reason he hates it is because of this holy covenant that I've talked to you about. And, and there's hurt and there's brokenness. If you've been guilty, if you were the one maybe that was immoral, maybe you were the one that walked out, it's time this morning to say, Jesus, I want to come back to the values account. Forgive me. Protect me. Help me to reaffirm the values that I really need to believe for. If you're a young person, a lot of our church families, I look at all this audience, tons of you are young, and I just want to share with you, you, the kids that are here today is why I keep pastoring. I really mean that. It's you teenagers, it's you the little ones that are sitting here. I really want you to know that's why I'm teaching this morning. Because I want to challenge you to live a different way, a different commitment, a different intimacy with Jesus. And I want, I want to challenge you. Take me up on the challenge and say, okay, to live this life once I'm going to do it Jesus' way and I'm going to guard my spirit you see Dave how do we do all this every single day beginning this morning the Holy Spirit lives within you 
And you keep a soft heart, not a hard heart, but you guard your spirit. The Holy Spirit came to live inside of you the moment you were born again. If you respond to him and you keep a tender-heartedness towards him, if you let him help you to enjoy the relationship with Jesus, and that means listening to his word and doing what we're doing today and doing it in your own personal life, then he's going to give you strength. He's going to give you real spirit, the Holy Spirit, to help you to live like this. As Americans, all Americans want me to say, here's five things you need to do for your marriage. And what I want to tell you is there aren't five things you need to do for your marriage. You know what you need to do for your marriage? You need to think about what you believe about marriage because you act consistently with the way you believe. You need to think about how do I believe about my marriage? What do I believe about covenant? What do I believe about uniting with an unbeliever? What do I believe about abandoning my life partner? And if you believe right about those things, that in the multitude of situations that you're facing day by day, you'll live right and you'll obey. I talked to you about friends. Rachel and Ross said goodbye this past week. Remember I told you about friends? They made the abnormal normal. Rachel's sitting on a couch. It was on the clip on, on AOL, brief clip. And Rachel says this. She sits on a couch and she begins, all right, all right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go to Paris. Thank you, Ross. I'm so happy. What's she going to do? She's a woman. Going to go to Paris. She had a baby in the mixed up world of friends. Rachel had a baby from Ross. Not married to him, but had a baby, which means there's tremendous connection. But now she's going to go to Paris. And I want you to, I want you, if you can look at the clip on AOL, Rachel stands up and she hugs Ross. And Ross looks over his shoulder at the camera and he says, I'm happy too. And you know in your heart, baloney, he's happy. Because that's not the way stories are supposed to end. You know it in the 21st century, don't you? You know that what should happen is Ross should say, Rachel, we've made a lot of mistakes. And we've had sex when we shouldn't have had it, and we've had a child. But I want you to know, deep in my heart, I really love you, Rachel. And I want to live together the rest of my life so we can provide a home for our little baby. And as a man, I get down on my knees and I, I ask you, I'll make a promise. I'll stand with you forever till death do us part. Let's get our lives straightened out and come to Jesus. Well, you can go ahead off to Paris as a young woman. Go ahead. But you're going to miss. You're going to miss what a precious Savior wants to do. And you're only going to get to do it once. And my challenge to you is not to believe the media lies, but to believe the truth and live for the Spirit of God today.